Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. good to have everybody here. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Yeah, we just want to say welcome to everybody watching online, Facebook and YouTube. We're so glad that you're joining with us today. Um, We all have that pivotal moment in our lives, isn't it? Uh, That moment that kind of changes everything. Uh, For some of us, it's the day you got married. You just notice that things are just going to be different. Or the day you had your first child. Or when you graduated from college and you had to move out of your parents' house. We just, we have those moments that we recognize that life is just going to be totally different. You see, today as we gathered here, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A moment in history that is so profound that changes everything. This moment really changed everything. But there's another pivotal moment in history as well. Before the resurrection, there was crucifixion. The day that our Savior died on the cross. The day that today, looking back, we call it Good Friday, which happened three days ago. And what what is good about this day? The day that a sinful man, righteous, God-man, was crucified, died a shameful death. Now, Jesus was not killed. He offered his life. But he died a shameful death on the cross. Why do we call this day a good day? A good day. Well, we have to go back to Genesis, the story of creation. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 27, the Bible said that God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And then verse 31, the Bible said God looked at all the work of creation and God said it was not just good, but it was very good. And then in Genesis chapter 3, sin fractured this beautiful, perfect relationship. Sin entered the world and distorted this relationship that we were created to have with our creator. Another theologian called this, he called it the vandalization of peace. That we were created to have this perfect peace, shalom with God, but sin interrupted that. So we did a rescue. We needed a savior. Someone to save us, to rescue us from the power and penalty of sin. That is what the cross accomplished for us. And today I want to share with you three things that I believe the cross accomplished for us as we reflect on his crucifixion, but also celebrate his resurrection today. The first thing that the cross accomplished for us, the cross atones for our sins. You see, the Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, 
that in himself, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. And then in Colossians 2 verse 14, the Bible tells us that he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He took everything and nailed it to the cross. You see, when we see the cross of Jesus Christ, what we are actually looking at is our sins, our shame, our disappointment. All of that, Jesus took that and nailed it to the cross. And here's the invitation for you this morning. As we are gathered here today, before we step into even celebrating the resurrection, is there anything that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you today that you need to nail to the cross? Because we shouldn't live here carrying any of that. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus took that and nailed it to the cross. The second thing the cross accomplished for us is that the cross invites us to lay aside our expectations. You see, the disciples didn't expect Jesus, the Messiah, to be nailed to the cross. They expected the king who said, who will bring the kingdom here and who will conquer Rome. But Jesus turned everything upside down. You see, what they expected Jesus to do, Jesus did something completely different. The Savior on the cross. You see, we all have our own expectation. We have the way, the way we expect God to move in our lives and in our situations. We have the way we want God to move in our relationships, in our marriages, in our children, in our schools, in our businesses. We have those expectations. But you see, God said his ways are not our ways. And one thing that we can rest, we know that his ways are better, far, far better than our ways. And we're invited to lay aside our expectation and just trust him and trust him. The third thing that the cross accomplished for us is that the cross is a model for relationship. The cross is a model for relationship. The cross demonstrates for us how we are to live in relationship with one another. God's kingdom advances at the intersection of relationship. And the cross is the ultimate act of relationship. You see, sin is actually a violation of relationship, isn't it? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, Paul wrote these words. He said, have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Another translation said, in your relationship with one another, have the mind set of Christ. Verse 6 said, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Jesus set for us an example of the way we are to live in relationship with one another by laying down our lives. This is love. A few years back, uh, my wife Nikki and I uh, were at a movie theater, which is a rare privilege when you have three young children. And we were not in a hurry, and so we stayed all the way through the credits, and unbeknownst to us, after the credits, the movie had an alternate ending. It was really cool. Uh, I did some research on alternate endings this week, and as far as I can tell, the first alternate ending to a story was Charles Dickens in 1861, who wrote an alternate ending to Great Expectations. Now, of course, since then, several books, TV shows, and most prominently movies have played with the concept of the alternate ending. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, it's basically when the writers of the movie introduce another way that it could have happened, a a different twist at the conclusion. You know, as Pastor William talked to us about the things that the death of Jesus accomplished, the reality is that his closest followers had no idea what was coming. The first Easter Sunday morning was not one of celebration and one of of worship and raised hands. It was one of desperation and disappointment. For them, their hope was buried in the tomb with their Messiah. To them, the story was over. But God had an alternate ending in mind. Those of you that are part of the Horizon West family, you would know that when I was 18 years old, I lost my mom. And, and two moments from that experience stick most vividly in my mind now, 21 years later. The first was her final breaths. It was a Monday morning, uh, May 1st, 2000, and the family huddled around her bedside singing hymns to her. I remember singing, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" as my mom fought for the air she needed to survive and she would breathe out and then seven, eight, nine seconds would pass and she would breathe in. And then she would breathe out and 10, 11, 12 seconds would pass and she would breathe in. And then she breathed out and we waited and we waited. And a friend who was a nurse who was in the room with us got her stethoscope, put it on my mom's chest and said the simple words, She's gone. The the emotional climate of the first Easter morning was one of deep, deep sorrow. Their Savior was dead. The other moment for my mom's passing that remains so vivid in my mind was the moment at the end of the graveside service when the funeral home directors took the casket and lowered it into the ground, and my brothers Aaron and Ben are on their hands and knees clutching to the casket and weeping as it's lowered in the ground. There is something final about burial. In fact, I believe nothing in the human experience conveys finality quite like burial. Whatever hopes you have for someone to recover who is fatally ill, whatever hope you have at the last moment before they draw their final breath, burial puts that all away with its soul-crushing absoluteness. Jesus died and was buried. For the disciples, their hope was gone. The story was over. And then we see this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Uh, 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. This account of the resurrection of Jesus was written by one of his closest followers, one of the 11. His name is Matthew. And what you need to know this morning is that what Matthew was not doing is is creating a clever story that we would tell 2,000 years later. Matthew was not writing a sacred text to be read in religious services. What Matthew was doing was giving a first-hand account of something that he had personally experienced. And this is incredibly important. You see, I believe the resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in the history of humanity. There there has been nothing since, there's been nothing before that has been more important than the resurrection of Jesus. And not just the fact that we believe it, but the fact that it actually happened. Another one of Jesus' early followers, a man named Paul, said it this way. If Christ has not risen from the dead, our faith is futile and we are still dead in our sins. You need to know that those 11 men, among them whom was Matthew, from the resurrection, they would go and spread out to all parts of the world, no two of them together, and they would proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, all 11 of those men died still proclaiming that it was true, and 10 of the 11 died precisely because they proclaimed that it was true. The important thing you need to know is that no one is going to die for something that they know is not true. If the resurrection was a hoax, those were the men who knew it was. And they died not proclaiming that they believed something to be true. They died proclaiming they had personally experienced something. That that they had spoken with Jesus. That they had put their hands in his side. That they had seen him with their own eyes. Even to the point where they were willing to go to their death. Claiming it was as they said. You know the disciple Matthew shared something else shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. Go uh, Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 16 to 20 with you. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The truth is, most Easter sermons end at the empty tomb, but I'm going to give you an alternate ending. Because the empty tomb is not where the story ended, it's where the story was just beginning. And here on a mountain in Galilee, or outside of Galilee, the eleven would get their marching orders from Jesus, what we call the Great Commission. There was another one among that band. He was not one of the 11 closest followers, but a young man named Mark. And Mark would share his own gospel story account. And he would let us know that immediately after Jesus spoke the words we just read, something remarkable happened. 
As those men and women watched Jesus in front of their eyes, he says that he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. A couple things that are important in that phrase. One is the words sat down. It's important because what Mark is conveying is that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, the work of saving was completed. He had done it. Like Jesus said on the cross, tetelestai, which means it is finished. He was ready to sit down. And notice where he sat down. At the right hand of the Father. That, that term right hand is, is the term for power or strength. It's why Jesus can say all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me because he is seated in the place of highest power. My friends, it is not enough for, just to, for us just to recognize Jesus as a risen Savior. We must acknowledge him as a reigning king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. But I don't even want to just stop there. Because 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, we learn that the disciples were once again huddled together and they're still trying to figure out the story as it's unfolding. And suddenly, there's the sound like a mighty wind blowing in their midst. And suddenly, tongues of fire come and rest on them and the Holy Spirit descends and takes up residence within them. Christians, we refer to this as the day of Pentecost, the, the moment when, when God, by his Holy Spirit, came to live in those who believe in him, those who uh, uh, reside in faith with him. This moment, Pentecost, was the culminating moment of the gospel story. We sang earlier in the service, we sang the words, the same power that crushed the enemy, the same power lives in me. This is so crucial. See, I refuse to let us come and just do a religious service that we call Easter Sunday. I refuse even to let us come and applaud the power that raised Jesus from the dead as if it has nothing to do with us. The reality is the saving mission of Christ wasn't complete until God himself by his spirit came to live in us. This is not religion. This is reality. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through his death, through his resurrection, that the world through him might have life. I want to invite you for a moment just to close your eyes. I'm going to be the only one looking around because the, the truth is there may be some in this room who have come in and, and you've not yet surrendered to Jesus, the, the risen Savior and the reigning King. Like some of the disciples on that mountainside, you're still in a place of doubting and you're wondering, did this actually happen? Did a man named Jesus actually rise from the dead? And I'm here to tell you, the answer is Yes. And it is our only reason for hope. It is the reason that we live. I want to invite you, if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you have never had the experience of God dwelling in your heart through faith, I want to invite you to that moment now. And nobody else is looking around. I just want to see your hand so I can pray for you. If you are ready and this is your moment to surrender to Jesus, lift up your hand so I can see it.
Others of you might have come in this morning and you go, I, I, I believe in these things, Chris, but I, I've never really recognized that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me. That's a game changer. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. And I want to pray for you. If that's you, just lift up your hand so I can see it. I want the power, the resurrection power of Jesus at work in my life. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I, I pray for these who have raised their hands, God. I pray for those who are indicating that this is their moment to, to come to you in faith. God, to meet you at the cross where your blood was poured out, where the saving work was completed. God, I thank you for them coming to this moment and receiving you as their Lord and their Savior. God, for others who are here and, and that they're living the defeated life, that they're not tapping into that resurrection power that lives in them through faith, that lives in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you just raise our awareness of the power that lives in us? Would you increase our ability to walk in that power? And God, we most of all thank you for Jesus, who was willing to go to a cross and die, and who overcame death when he walked out of the tomb and is now ascended to the right hand of the Father who has given the Holy Spirit for us. God, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.